I just think ferrets are underrated. I mean, I love ferrets. Uh-huh. I mean, I have 17 of them at home. Had a good a good time tonight. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I'm going so. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, I think that was a, a reflex. Yeah, that's cool. I would have done the same thing. I cannot feel my face. Hey, Cornerstone. How you doing, man? Glad you're here, uh, third week of our dating series, and I hope by now that all of us have caught on and thought, okay, I get it. Although we're talking most primarily to the single adults in the room, there's stuff here. There's nuggets in this conversation that apply to me no matter what stage uh, I am at life. And one of the things we've said out loud is an awful lot of our marriage problems are single people problems that we brought to our marriage. And so I'm just, there's something here for everyone. Uh, real quick, a couple weeks ago, we handed out a card that looked like this. It says, my five non-negotiables. We're going to be filling that out in two weeks. So I just want you, as we go through this series, to be thinking to yourself, what are the five non-negotiables that I'm going to put on this card when we do this together? And remind you, we said the first two are reserved for God. Uh, we're going to figure those out together. The last three belong to you. You get to pick anything. Hey, you know, he's got to be six foot four, have a hairy chest. Whatever that is, it's okay. You can pick the next three uh, as long as the first two uh, stay reserved for God. So there you go. All right, so today, I just want to say this out loud. Uh, today, in many ways, of all the things we're going to talk about, maybe the least sexy talk that we're going to do through the whole thing. But I'm convinced it's the most powerful talk. If you were to come to me and say, Lynn, you can't do any of the other messages you're going to do, but you can do one, this is the one that I'd pick because although it may not, you know, be, wow, it, it is the most potentially life-transforming conversation that we're going to have throughout the entire series. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to lean in. I'm going to ask you to process through and to process with this in mind, what if I actually did that? What would happen? What would happen in my dating relationships? What would happen within my marriage? If I actually adjusted my life to follow biblical mandate, what would happen in my life? And I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna be, I think you're going to be in awe and thrilled and transformed by the conversation that you and I are going to have today. All right, grab your Bibles real quick. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, you can get there by going to the back of your Bible, working to the left, Ephesians chapter 5. All right, so while you're going there, um, let me ask you this question. By a raise of hands, how many of you would say, if you take two highly selfish people, put them into a marriage together, the likelihood that that marriage is going to be successful is pretty low? How many people would say that? Okay, you and Santan, raise your hands. Santan's actually more convinced than the Chandler crowd is about this. All right, so let's, let's, let's flip it. How many of you would say, by raise of hands, uh, if you take two unselfish people, put them in a marriage, the likelihood that their marriage is going to succeed is greatly increased? Okay, well, we really don't have to have a message today. I, that was kind of the point, and you've already got it. And, no, look, 
Here's what we're going to be discussing today. The likelihood of your success in marriage is directly proportional to your ability to learn to be unselfish. You bring selfishness to your marriage and relationships, your likelihood of success is going to drop dramatically. You learn how to navigate relationships unselfishly, and suddenly the likelihood of success in that is going to go through the roof. It is directly proportional to the level of selfishness that you bring to the relationship. Here's why. Because selfishness is absolutely toxic to any relationship that you're in. Whether it be your family, whether it be your marriage, whether it be the person you date, selfishness is absolutely toxic to relationships. All right. All right, so I want you uh, to imagine for a moment that you have affection for these fish, that you care about these fish. Matter of fact, um, rather than thinking about them as, you know, filet of fish, uh, I want you instead to think about them as one of the fish is you, and one of the fish is the person that you're in a relationship with, okay? So you have affection. You care what happens to the fish. Now, here's what you may not know. That uh, fish cannot tolerate just normal tap water. So in other words, you take uh, the water that you get out of your sink, you put it in an aquarium, you put the fish in, it'll kill the fish because it has chlorine in it. And chlorine is like acid to them. It will actually just burn and burn and burn, and eventually uh, they will die simply by being in tap water because of the chlorine content. So uh, here's what I want us to do. Uh, I'm going to let you direct me. I'm going to take some Clorox, and I'm going to begin to pour it into the fish tank. And when you decide that I have poured enough Clorox in, you're going to yell, stop, and then I'll stop pouring the Clorox in. But you get to decide. Okay, so you ready? Here we go. I haven't even begun here. Wait a minute. So, you are no fun. We could have watched fish like Twitch and. You realize selfishness. Selfishness. It's toxic in the tank. And somewhere, somewhere in every relationship you have, you're going to make a fundamental decision about how much selfishness you're going to put. It's water. I actually wanted to use Clorox. I was thinking, man, you know, it'd be so cool. It'd be like this great object lesson. The fish would be twitching all through the sermon, you know, and... And, and, and then they'd eventually float face up, you know, and it'd be like this great object lesson on selfishness. And the guys in the back stopped me. But no, you guys are like, we got a horrible pastor. Right. But you get the moment. Get the moment. Selfishness is absolute toxin to any relationship that you're in. Here's why this is a big issue. Because culturally right now, we tell young adults, single adults, be selfish. We say to them, look, 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 here's what you do. Go do whatever you want to do with whoever you want to do it as often as you want to do it, and when you're done doing it with them, then throw them away, move on to the next person that you want to do something with, and use and abuse them to whatever makes you happy. Because after all, it's all about you. And people are simply there to function as something to make you pleased. So go out and live a life of absolute self-indulgence, because here's the problem. 
Someday, someday you're going to get married. And then you can't have all that fun and you can't live as capriciously and selfishly because somebody else is involved. Now think about this for a second. If you're a single adult and you've lived the last seven, eight, nine years of your single life married, and then suddenly you end up in a relationship, a significant marital relationship, what's your best guess about how that selfish single adult is going to act inside the context of marriage? Because, guys, 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 get this. The best predictor of future behavior is past Oh my goodness, you are not anywhere near where I thought we were on this. All right, so let's, let's try this again. The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. behavior. So how absurd, think about this, how absolutely absurd is it for you and I to say to single adults, hey, look, go be as selfish as you can for the next seven, eight, nine years, and then you're going to get in front of people and mystically become selfless. Think about this. Think about this for a second. She's a liar. Every time life gets a little tough, every time things become a little inconvenient, every time she's in a conversation that goes a little bit awkward, she lies. The next time, the next time life gets a little awkward, in that moment that she's with her husband and now she spent a little bit too much at the mall and he's asking her what happened. What's your best guess about how she's going to respond? She's going to lie. Because the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. He's a cheater. All through their dating relationship, he has messed around. But now they're going to get married. And things are going to be different. Folks, if he's cheated during the dating relationship... What's your best guess of what he's going to do in the marriage relationship? He's going to cheat. Because the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And somehow we've got this Pollyanna idea that these two people who have lived absolutely selfishly up until now, she, she's going to put on a white dress. He is going to put on a tuxedo. And mystically and magically, as the pastor says some words over them, they're going to become instantly selfless with all the tools and all the capacities to do selfless marriage. Ladies, Even if there is something magical inside of this coat, he's returning it tomorrow. (laughs) It's a rental. Men, she's putting this in a box in the closet, and 20 years from now, she'll sell it on Craigslist. I'm just telling you, even if, even if there's power in the, they'll never wear them again. Maybe here's another way of thinking about it. Imagine you leave church today, you go down to the Humane Society, the dog care, and you you pick up a puppy, lovable, beautiful, wonderful puppy. His name's Toby. 
but you decide that Toby's an outdoor dog. So as you go home, you uh, put a dish of water on the outside, you put food on the outside, and you put Toby on the outside. And so for the next six years, Toby lives in the backyard. Now, here's the thing about the backyard. If you're in the backyard, if you're a backyard dog, you get to pee where you want to pee. You get to poop where you want to poop. You get to chew on whatever you want to chew on. That's the life of a backyard dog. And then one day, you're sitting there drinking your coffee in the morning. You look out in the backyard, you see Toby, and you say, I really like Toby. Boy, I just, you know what? I think I'm going to make Toby an indoor dog. So you walk into your backyard, you say, Toby, <laughs> it all changes today. You're an in, come on in. You're an indoor dog. And you walk him around the house. Hey, here's the living room. You can lay on the couch if you want. Have a good time. I'm leaving for work. <laughs> Anybody want to guess what you're going to find when you come home? Why? Because Toby's an outdoor dog. And the best predictor of behavior is past behavior. And so why in the world, why do we say to single young adults, look, live as self-absorbed, live as selfishly as you can, and then mystically and magically somehow you're going to have the tools and the capacity to live in a selfless marriage? Haven't we just set ourselves up for doom? There are some married people in the room, and just having this part of the conversation, you're going, oh. I think I get it. I think I'm a backyard dog got brought indoors. <laughs> uh, I'm chewing on things I shouldn't be chewing on. All right? I, 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 I live selfishly until I try, had to, the moment I had to live selflessly and I didn't have the tools. Back to the passage. Submit to one another, and guys, here's, here, here, here's what this means, okay? Here's what it means. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And all this, all this is, all this moment is, is it's a description of how selfless love works. And when it says submit here, this is not an authority conversation. This is a love conversation. And what it's saying in this moment is, look, look, look. He came to this marriage with hopes and expectations and ideas of how marriage was supposed to work. And if he's not careful, he's going to impose that on her, and when she fails to do it, he's going to withdraw his affection and love. She came to this marriage having played dolls and having this idea of what married life was going to be like, and if she imposes that on him, he's going to fail. He's going to let her down, and when he does, she will withdraw. So instead, Scripture says, look, take those ideas, take those hopes, take those dreams, and submit them. Be willing to say, look, here's the deal. I found somebody that I love more than me. And because I love you more than I love myself, I'm willing. I'm willing to take my plans. And guys, get this. Not throw them away. Not become a doormat. I'm willing to take my plans and let my plans be number two. I'm still hoping, I'd still like to see the moment when, but I'm willing for my plans to be number two because I have found somebody that I love more than myself and I'm willing for your hopes and dreams and plans to be number one. And think about the power of this. And in the same moment she is saying, 
I have all these dreams. I have all these hopes. And I'm willing to put them as number two in this relationship. Not, I still hope them. I'm, I'm still dreaming for, but I love you more than I love me. And I'm willing to submit my plans for your happiness. Which, guys, think about this. Would have to be an absolutely selfless gesture. The problem is, we spend most of our time offering each other a selfish form of love, which really, if you think about it at the end of the day, uh, isn't love at all. See, here's, here's what we do. We offer each other conditional love. We say, hey, if you meet my conditions, if you rise to my expectations, well then, oh yeah, sure I love you. But if you don't, uh, you broke the contract. Uh, you have severed the agreement and I no longer have to feel that way about you. I no longer have to treat you that way. Matter of fact, you ready for this? The most common form of love that married couple or even unmarried, just singles dating, offer each other If, I love you if, I love you if you have sex with me. I love you if you let me win the argument. I love you if you buy me things. And, and it, it, it's a conditional form of love. As long as you perform, as long as you do what I believe you're required to do, then I love you. But fail to perform fail to meet my expectations, and I'm just telling you, I don't feel the same way about you. I guarantee you, every single couple you've ever met goes, oh, we fell out of love. Conditional love. Performance-based love. And guys, here, here's, here's what we do so often in relationships and marriage. He says, hey, look, I'm, I'm totally invested. I'm totally in. I'm more than willing to do my part. She comes to the marriage and says, hey, I'm totally in. I'm totally willing to do my part. So here's the deal. I'll do my half, you do your half. I'm more than happy to be the type of husband you want me to be as long as, you ready? As long as you're the type of wife I want. Then I'm more than happy to do my part. The problem is she's saying exactly the same thing. She's saying, look, I'm, I'm willing to be the type of wife you want as long as you're the husband I always dream for. Here's the problem. Somebody, always them, but somebody falls short. Uh, he doesn't quite make the grade. To which she then says, well, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you're not going to be all the way in, I mean, if you're not going to do everything you're supposed to do, then I surely don't have to do everything I'm supposed to do. To which then he sees her withdrawing and he goes, whoa, 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 that's not what my wife's supposed to be, and he begins to withdraw. And then she says, well, hey, if, that's, if you're going to spend that much time at work, and if you're going to be, well, then I'm, and guess what? They begin to both function at about 30%, because... See, in that moment, he says, look, here's the deal. I'd like to have more sex. She says, well, maybe I'd have more sex if you'd be helping out around the house more and I wasn't so tired. And he says, well, hey, maybe I'd be helping out around the house more if you would just show me some appreciation. 
She says, well, I'd sure have a better time showing you appreciation if you took me on a date once in a while. And you get, if, then, love always ends up with a breach of contract. And you realize this gap, this area in here, that is death. That is chaos in the relationship. Think about this. Ephesians chapter 5. What did Jesus, what did the Bible just say? She takes her desires, lays them at his feet. He takes his desires because I found somebody that I love more than I love me. Which means, you ready for this? He does not bring 50% to the relationship. He brings 100%. She, in turns, brings 100%. And we already said, hey, they're not going to make that, right? They're, I mean, we're human. We're, we're never going to be the perfect husband, perfect wife. So let's say he actually performs at 70%, and she actually performs at 70%. But boy, that, that's remarkable. That's amazing within this relationship. Because in that area, it truly becomes me doing what you need and you doing what I need in the relationship. There's a second type of conditional love uh, that we give. It's because love. I love you because. I love you because you're popular. Ladies, how many of you were in love with the captain of the football team? Never met him, but you were in love with him. Oh, you're not raising your hands, are you? You know you, you wrote little poems. Yeah. You, you, you signed your name, Becky Johnson. That's what you, it's popular. Hey, I love you. Uh, I love you because um, you're good looking. Guys, if you marry somebody simply because, no, it's okay. It's okay for them to be good. I'm just saying, if you love them because they're good looking, you're in trouble. Because gravity always wins. <laughs> I'm just telling you guys, she looks really, really good. Ba-boom, ba-boom right now. Give her 20 years, it's going to be, mmm. I'm just, I'm just telling you. It's just because gravity always wins. Ladies, you think he's so amazing. He's got that huge crop of hair. It's going away. It's going away. And it's going to show back up on places on his body that it shouldn't. It just is. And, and if you're loving because... Because it's going to change. It, it, is, it is conditional love. And think about this. Both if kind of love and because of kind of love, if you really finish the sentence, it's, it's you will let me if you love me because this is all about me. And the reality is conditional love, whether it's if kind of love or because of kind of love, is always about me which means it is always selfish, which means at the end of the day, it is not genuine love. It is actually selfishness wrapped in a wrapper of affection. It's interesting because if you actually go back to the Bible, uh, the Bible actually has several different words for love. This is kind of hard for us because in the English language, we have one word, which means when we say we love something, it's pretty ambiguous. Because you'll hear someone say, I love toast. 
really? You'd lay down your life for toast? Really? Because we just have this fuzzy word that we throw out everywhere. In the original language in which Scripture is written in Greek, uh, there were actually three different words uh, for love. One of those words is eros. It's where we get the word erotic from. And this is, this is that heart-pounding, physical attraction, I just can't stay away from you kind of love. And what you need to know is it's okay. It's okay. If you're having that kind of love for your spouse, eros away. Just go for it. You just can't eros with everybody in the room, right? You get that, right? It's reserved. It's reserved for the person you're married with. But it's a great type of love. There's a second type of love in the Bible, which is phileo. And phileo means brotherly love. So it's where we get the word Philadelphia from, brotherly love. And this is just, hey, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> I care about what you care about. I've got your back. I'm just telling you we're going to do life side by side kind of love. But the other part of phileo love is that phileo love can be seasonal. So in other words, I guarantee you, you've got some people that you grew up with when you were younger, and you went, man, this is my best friend, BFF. You don't even have them on Facebook anymore, okay? Because life changed. You moved to different states. If you're a girl, you, you stopped liking dolls and started liking boys, and she didn't do, and, and, and somewhere it just drifted apart. But you were best friends. You were phileo, friends with each other. There's a third type of love. It's agape. This is godlike love. This is the truly unconditional love that just simply says, I love you. It's not based on your performance. It's not conditional on what you do. Matter of fact, the truth is, no matter what you do, no matter how far you would misbehave, no matter how much you would disappoint, it's not going to change this for me. I agape you. And it is unconditional, and it is unchangeable. Can I tell you that your heart longs for at least one person in this world to agape you, to just love you unconditionally without reservation? It's interesting because right after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has a conversation with Peter. And if you remember the story, Peter denied Jesus three times just before he got hung on the cross. And so now Jesus is hung on the cross, he's died, he's risen again, and now he's having fish dinner with Peter. And as they're having dinner, Jesus turns to Peter, and here's what he says is, Peter, do you love me? And Peter turns back to Jesus and says, well, of course I love you, Jesus. Dinner goes on for a few minutes, and Jesus turns back to Peter again, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Jesus, you know, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, okay, feed my sheep. Dinner goes on for a few more minutes. Jesus turns to Peter a third time and says, Peter, do you love me? And the Bible says, and in that moment, Peter's heart is broken because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And Peter says, Jesus, you know, you know that I love you. Now, you and I reading that story, and we go, it's kind of weird. What, did, you, did Peter have this like three-ask limit or something, and that's why it bothers him? So what's going on? When Jesus turns to Peter the first time 
and says, Peter, do you love me? Guess which word he uses? Agape. He says, Peter, do you love me more than anything else? And would you lay down your life for me, Peter? To which Peter says back, Jesus, you know that I phileo you. I love you like a brother. I'm, I'm interested in doing life with you. When Jesus asked him the second time, he says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me more than anything else in this world? Are you, are you ready, no matter what it costs, to stick with me? And Peter says, Jesus, you know, you know I phileo you. The third time Jesus asks, the time that broke Peter's heart, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you phileo me? Peter says, Jesus, you know that I phileo you. But here's what Peter knew in the moment, that he wasn't meeting the standard. Every single person in this world, you ought to be asking the person you're dating, do you agape me? Do you love me more than anything else? Are you willing to take your plans and submit your plans and let your plans be number two because you love me enough that you would sacrifice your plans for me? And if they say back to you, I phileo you, move on, move on, move on. Because phileo can change and phileo is conditional. You know what I think is so interesting? We intuitively agape our kids. Think about it. Your little baby's born. They don't do anything to deserve love. I mean, they're pooping in their diaper. They're spitting up on your shoulder. I mean, think about it. And if you think that's bad, wait till they become teenagers. And yet, here's what we do with parents. We intuitively agape our children, right? We go, look, look, I, I just don't care. You can do whatever you're going to do. I mean, you can disappoint me a hundred times. I'm just telling you, I love you, and my love for you is unchanged by your performance. And yet, we offer phileo to our spouses. We say to them, if you don't meet performance, if you do something, that, then it's possible. It's possible we'd just be done because I love you like a brother. And you realize what God is commanding this moment is he's saying, when you, when you get to that one, it's agape. That's when you're ready, when it's agape. That's when you're ready to say yes, when he agapes you. So here's the question. What if, what if, what if we began to shift gears? What if we went after this? So grab your Bibles real quick. Here we go. It's 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bible still open, it's going to be the left. If you close your Bible, just go to the back, work to the left. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Who knows, who knows what this chapter is? What do we call it? The love chapter. Yeah. And truth is, you've heard this chapter a thousand times. You know why you've heard it a thousand times? Because they read it at every single wedding. Which is, let me just say this, that's the most worthless thing we ever do is read the love chapter at weddings. You know why? Because nobody's listening. See, she's, she's up there at the wedding. She's not listening to the preacher when he's reading the love chapter. She's going, did the flower girl drop enough flowers? <laughs> he, he's up there while they're doing, he's reading it, and he's going, 
how soon does the honeymoon start? Everybody in the crowd, they're not listening. They're just going, oh, they will never make it. No one's listening. No one's listening. So in just a moment, just take a moment when the rest of it's not going on and, and just take a look for a second. So here's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4. Here's what it says. You ready? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, love always hopes, love always perseveres. Because you ready for this? Because agape love never fails. Now look, here's the deal. I can't unpack that whole passage. That'd be a whole sermon series if I did that. But let's just hit a couple highlights in here. Let's just measure ourselves against some of the things that the Bible says are attributes of genuine love that ought to be in our dating and then especially our marriage relationships. So here we go. Love is patient, which simply means this, ready? I am willing to give you time, time to figure out that thing that you're not doing very well, time to work on that part of your character or part of your life that's, that's struggling. I'm, I'm willing to give you time because love is patient. Isn't it interesting that we intuitively know to do this with our children? We're patient. At least I hope you are. I hope you don't have like this little toddler son and he tries to walk and all of a sudden he falls down and you go, really? Really? Twelve tries and you still don't have it right? Really? And he just simply says, hey guys, love is patient. Love says, I'm, I'm going to give you room. And you ready for this? I'm going to give you room to figure that out, even knowing that you may never figure it out. Because love is patient. Love is kind. Simply means this, you ready? That love is willing to bless the other person, even if the other person will never notice. It's why you unload the dishwasher, and she may, she may never even realize you did it. It's okay, because I just wanted to bless her, even if I never got credit for it. It's why you send a card, and it's not your anniversary. Because the heart of love just says, look, I want to bless you just for the sake of blessing you. It's why you open her door. I'm going to bless you just for the sake of blessing you. It's kind. Love is not proud. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you admitted you were wrong? And how many years did it take for you to come to that conclusion? Because you realize there's some of us in this room, and we are so proud. We walk into every single room, and we're pretty sure we're the smartest person in the room. And the only mistake is the rest of the people haven't realized it yet. And we're pretty sure we are right about everything. So let me just ask you a question. When's the last time you let the person you were dating, you let your spouse have their way even though your heart told you they were wrong? Love is not proud. Love is not dishonoring. Isn't that interesting? Love is not dishonoring. 
which means this. You ready? It means you will never, 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 never say to her, if you love me, you'll let me. Because love does not dishonor. And love would never pressure her or put her into a place of doing something that would break her relationship with her Lord and potentially cause her future regret in her life. Because that would be dishonoring, wouldn't it? Now you're going, well, wait, 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 Lynn. I mean, I, you know, that, that's Bible stuff. I mean, that's, that's just this like, woo, you know, standard, and I, you know, I don't know. How many of you have parents that got divorced? Okay. How many of you have somebody in your life who were good friends, they were neighbors, they were coworkers that you really cared about, got a divorce? If, if they had been patient, with one another. If they'd been willing to say, look, I get it, you're not able to do that now, you're working on it, and I'm going to give you time. If they had been kind, if they would have said, look, I'm just going to look for ways to bless my spouse. I'm just going to do things for them just for the sake of blessing them. What if they had been less proud? What if they didn't need to be right every time and didn't have to win every argument and there were moments in which they could say, hey, you know what, I don't think I agree, but I'm going to let you have your way this time. What if they had been honoring one to another? You know what my guess is? My guess is your parents would still be together. My guess is your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers would still be together because it's selfishness that's the toxin to our relationships. And you ready? Your success will be in direct proportion to how selfless you become. So here's my challenge. If you're single, I'm going to challenge you for the next 90 days to date selflessly. Selflessly. Just say, hey, I'm going to treat you as if I love you more than myself. I'm going to do for you whatever I can do for you, short of violating God, right? I'm going to date you selflessly. Married people, 90 days. 90 days you simply treat your spouse with selflessness. They're not going to be sure who you are, and they're going to double check. But 90 days, they're just saying, look, I'm going to do selfless marriage for 90 days. Because you ready for this? Because there's a really, really good chance that you've brought a single person problem to your marriage. And it's selfishness. And 90 days of selflessness would be amazing in your marriage. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we just simply come to the moment. And God, we, it just seems so obvious when we talk about it that our culture has got this so backwards. We're teaching young adults and singles to be selfish right up until the time of their wedding. And then we're expecting some cosmic change. And God, the problem is some of us have gotten caught in that. We've, we've bought into the lie, and we have dated selfishly. We have married selfishly, and it is poison to our relationship. And we simply choose today to agape, to love unconditionally, to just simply say, I'm going I'm to love the way that Jesus would have loved which means I'm going to submit my desires, my aspirations 
to the person that I love more than myself. And God, if we could learn that, we'd be the best daters in the world. We'd have the strongest marriages in the world if we could learn to be selfless. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.